I'm here with Sean Harris, a Kita for Home Plus student from the United States. I asked Sean how he enjoyed learning with Kita over the course of the year. Kita was really an amazing experience because I got to learn three new things every week. One Kumash, one Mishnah, and one Gamara. After each week, I got to discuss those things, and I learned a lot. I also asked Sean what were his favorite parts of the Kita for Home Plus program. My favorite part of the Kita lessons um, are getting to go onto Zoom and actually discuss them because then it's a two-way conversation and not just learning, it's interactive as well. I also spoke to Sean's parents and asked them how they felt about Kita. You know, we love the program. It was phenomenal. It, it exceeded our expectations for sure. Sean learned so much. It was providing him a basis to go to high school for Yeshiva education. We just appreciated all the learning that we did every week. Do you know a family looking for a Jewish education solution for their children? Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. To find out more, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. I never really thought about what everything in between is, but we should probably have a, have a podcast episode about everything in between is. Anyway, in between, right. yeah. Um, <laughs> my name is Ruvain Spalter. I am the director of Kita. I am also the director of the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at Herzog Academic College. I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Rav Johnny Solomon is a writer, an editor, an educator, uh, a consultant, a personal spiritual coach. Uh, did I miss anything, Johnny? That'll do. That, that'll virtual do. Virtual rabbi. That Does virtual that rabbi. A virtual, virtual rabbi. rabbi. He is a pioneer. Just, you know, I use that term, but my kids say it out of jest. They say, Daddy's only a virtual <laughs> rabbi. But it's kind of like, and the truth is, yes, you know, I have great respect for people who are rabbis of uh, physical shuls. Brings a lot more challenges, and I take off my... Uh, Virtual hat to them. You don't wear a virtual hat. I've seen you. Okay, so imagine Johnny with the virtual hat. There was a, there was a time. That's why yeah. it's virtual, because you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> and we're with the, that was Rabbi Malibravsky. Rabbi Malibravsky is the second Shana Bet coordinator at MMY. The second. Director. <laughs> second no, Shana Bet coordinator. Oh, my God. Sorry. I don't know what that even means. The, I was going to say the second year, then I translated oh, to Shana Bet. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what practice is? You know, oh, my God. Okay. Harabini Molly Brodsky does a lot of things, and she'll tell you if she wants to. She's also a licensed <laughs> social worker. Right. Okay. This okay. week, I can take it. It's good. This week, I deserve it. One of these weeks, we're going to write it down. Okay. This week, we actually sent out a survey to try to survey our listeners and get a sense of what are the topics that you enjoy, the topics you want us to talk about, um, how our sound technician is lousy. Uh, and uh, we got a lot of wonderful feedback, and we thank you for that. Actually, we're going to note, in, if you haven't uh, responded, we're going to note in the, in the links to this show on our Facebook page. We'll actually share it, so we'd like to get more feedback. One of the topics that was suggested to us, and yes, we do take suggestions very seriously and read all the feedback very carefully, one of the topics that was suggested to us is the, uh, the issue of, of making Aliyah 
with older children? And I'm going to assume, well, we're, we, we actually, it's a great question. The, the, uh, the, the listener did not define what older children are, but um, uh, we'll, well, we'll get into that as well. But I think that's a really, uh, we, we felt that there was a very, very important topic. This is the summertime, it's a time when many people are making Aliyah. If you're not making Aliyah, you're thinking about it for next year. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a regular listener, I'm sure you've thought about it in general. It's a complicated topic. It's fraught with danger. I must say, I will say on my own, and I've mentioned this to uh, my colleagues, I say this with trepidation. I, I have a very strong um, um, Miraglim complex that it's, it's, I, I'm very, very careful to try to uh, make sure that I don't discourage people from moving to Israel because I believe, I, I mean, I did it. I, and looking back, I believe it was one of the perhaps the most meaningful thing that I could have done after I got married and met with my family. It was the most meaningful thing I could have done. Also, probably the hardest thing I've done, you know, and um, so I don't minimize the challenge of Aliyah in any way, shape, or form. That being said, uh, I think I personally am very wary of talking about challenging issues in ways that could perhaps tell, you know, convince people, well, it's not for us or whatever. So I say this, I bring up this conversation with Molly and Johnny with this idea of saying, what we have to, I want to frame it in such a way as people should be aware of the challenges and be aware of the, of the issues that arise so that they are prepared if they're making this decision to make the decision with their eyes open and understand the ramifications of them and hopefully we'll arm them with, with, uh, with information and we'll give them information that will allow them to come to Israel in a way that's more, more beneficial for themselves and their family and their children. That being said, I want to start with Rav Johnny. Rav Johnny, okay, how did you understand the question? What is an older child? What is a younger child? And what would you define as some of the challenges of bringing, once you know what old is, what would you define as some of the challenges of bringing older children and making Aliyah with older children? Okay, so firstly, thank you for framing the topic in that way, and thank you to our listeners for their feedback and for this question. You know, often when we think about older kids or younger kids, we, we use the, uh, the um, boundary of Baal Bat Mitzvah, as if to say people who are, you know, teenagers uh, or people who are younger. Actually, when it comes to Aliyah, and this only based on the brief research that we did when we made Aliyah, I'd say younger kids are probably kids maybe nine or less, and older kids are a little bit older. It's said that... Uh, that seemed to be a significant tipping point for a variety of factors. So I'm going to, for purpose of my contributions, I'm going to think about kids who are in their early teens, but this could apply even to kids who are 10 or 11, and certainly would apply to kids who are 16, 17 as well. So I think it's a fairly broad uh, 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 range of kids, and also depends on context. Some perhaps may have spent some time here in Israel when they were younger, some may have Israeli parents, and that means at least in terms of Hebrew fluency, that significant challenge may well be alleviated. But for, again, for the purpose of our conversation, let's talk about the, uh, somebody in their, in their early teens. And in terms of the challenges of the questioner, and it's important to note the questions were anonymous and the feedback we've been receiving and would be happy to receive is anonymous. I think what they were asking relates to um, socialization, relates to education, relates to confidence, relates to skills, relates to integration, relates to culture, uh, and relates to the, also the spiritual well-being of a child when they shift from 
one known frame of reference to a different place with different frames of reference. And no matter who you are, that's going to happen. No matter which community you're coming from to which community you're going to, how people perhaps live, what are the different hierarchies and values, how you relate to things are going to differ. Just to take a very simple example, for most people, and this doesn't so much apply to somebody from a UK background, when you go from the US to Israel, a massive difference is how you relate to how you pay for education and therefore how you regard yourself as either a customer of a school where you pay a significant amount of money and can make certain demands, rightly so, and if you come here to Israel where that significant amount of money is generally not required, but that means that the amount that you can demand is often significantly different too. I remember so that. I remember like, you know, calling factors. the principal and having her just blow me off. And I'm like, what is she doing? And then like, there's that realization that she doesn't have to listen to you. She doesn't work for you. You know, you're, right. you're just a parent. Exactly. But my job right. is to and, stay focused. Come back to the come back to the kids. Let's stay focused on the kids. And so now you okay. define so, older. As I say, there's a whole variety of things. You Social, older educational, as, as language, spiritual, confidence, culture, uh, and and who they think they are. I mean, whatever happens when you go from one place to another, even if you lived in the same place and you go from elementary school to middle school, you can be a big fish in a small pond, and all of a sudden. You're a very, very small fish in a very big pond. Here, you, you are a known fish in a pond that's familiar to you, and perhaps you feel to know who you are. Now you're going to, like, this huge lake. You don't know even where it begins and where it ends. Nobody knows you, and it takes a while for you to know you. And there is a journey of discovery, which is perhaps in the long run tremendously rewarding, but in the short term can be tremendously unnerving. And... And whatever age you bring your kids here, they experience that. But when they're older, they experience that with a certain knowingness that when you come with a younger kid, they just kind of, you know, go, go, go with it and adapt to it. Okay, so that being said, I'm going to turn to Molly. Molly, would you say then younger kids are more pliable, more open, more flexible, and it's harder for older kids? Or how would you, how would you, how would you um, quantify the challenge specifically that faces older kids? Okay, so I think, first of all, I think the question came because in one of our re recent podcasts, I had said that it's more challenging to make Aliyah with teens because, and I think Johnny alluded to a lot of these things, but I, I just want to put my social work hat on for a second and just go through reasons why what I had said on that podcast was teenage, at, at, the, at the years of teenagehood, your peer group is the most important group for you because mm. you're learning to self to individuate and self-identify, and the way you do that is against your peers, as opposed to in the younger ages, where where your family is is your is where you're getting most of your sense of self. Um, and so, I do think that the, that that's where the question came from, and that's why I do think we should focus on teens. Or I think Johnny's right. It, it you know, it can we, now we have like tweens, but I just want to go through. I think Johnny gave a, what Johnny said is all correct. I want to just kind of say kind of say it in in. In you know formal language, sort of. First of all, teenagers, mm -hmm. um, they're going through an intense period of destabilization, right? Just think about being a teen. Your body's changing, right? Their physical destabilization, emotionally, right? Your hormones are raging, um, right? There's so much, so much is being shaken up. So then, as Johnny said, think about the challenge when now this other new major life shakeup it happens to you because you are transported from a place where you, you know, feel comfortable to a totally new environment. It's just another shakeup. 
also, as I, I said before, and Johnny also alluded to, you're 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 learning as as a teen. The most important thing to do is to figure out who you are. It's it's the process of individuation and 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 searching for identity identity, and that's also thrown off because you you don't know how to function in this new environment. Um, wait, I, wait, I want to tear it apart. I mean, I want to I want to pull it apart a little bit because. The first thing you said is, okay, any child that moves anywhere, you could move from, I don't know, Washington to New York, and that's jarring. You lose your social, you lose your social sphere, you lose your friends, you lose the things that you know. So that's that's one thing. But I want to take just, I'm just trying to just to focus. How is moving to a different country, you know, albeit a wonderful country with a different language or culture, how are those things that throw off a teen and, and what are they specifically? Okay, so again, I'm saying moving to any country is going to throw off a teen, right? But especially now you're, so, so let, let me just go through a few more things, okay? And then, mm-hmm. and then I'll answer that question, okay? So you're destabilizing them physically and, and they're already destabilized physically and emotionally. Now you're just destabilizing them um, in terms of culture, in terms of peer group, in terms of language, right? Um, their identity search, when they're trying to figure out who they are, um, and all of a sudden, they're in an environment where usually they bounce off of their peers and they don't know these peers. They don't know how these peers function. They don't know the code. They don't know the language. They don't know what clothes to wear. They don't know like um, what's cool. They don't know anything about the culture. Also, think about how sensitive teens are, right? I, I once had a, an expert in, in teen psychology say, a teenager walks around with a mirror in front of them so that they're never seeing the person that they're across from. They're always seeing themselves in every situation, right? And that's excruciating for teens. So any any time when you feel off or slimy when you're a teen and like, oh my gosh, I tied my shoelaces the wrong way, right? So anytime you feel either somebody slighted you or you you were a little bit different, you feel that so much more strongly. So think about teens making Aliyah. Think about how much, how hard that is for them emotionally, right? So, so Ruby, does that answer your question? Because I want to also turn to how we can help the teens, right? You're asking how specifically does moving to a different country shake up all of these things. I mean, you mentioned them broadly, but I, I, I just sort of want to—I yeah. want to understand a little bit. Uh, I think it's worthwhile to, to, to for our listeners. I mean, if you're Israeli, you, if you live here, you know. But if you don't, if you don't live here, you don't really understand. What does it mean? A language they understand. Okay. But what does it mean? Culture. What is like? What? What are they? What are the different kinds of things when they come to school here? Theoretically, you know, okay. that they're going to find that's not like their school. That's that they're going to that you know that the okay. things that they're kind of accustomed to that they're that that, that is. You know, bread and butter for every teenager in America and in the, in, the, in the religious community in America. You live in, I don't know, Riverdale and you do X, Y, Z. And, you, and these are normal things and totally acceptable. And all of a sudden you come here and they're like, what, what the heck's going on? I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. What, what are some of those things that if, if, if you feel comfortable? Uh, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think I thought that through exactly. It just seems to me so self-evident that if you like move countries, that's going to happen, right? See, so, I think it's self-evident to you, but I don't think it's uh, it's obvious to to somebody who's well. I never thought okay, about so this. Okay, so I'll tell you one thing. Oh, Wait, Johnny, can I say one yeah. thing? Because because I, no, I actually has had idea. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had this very interesting conversation with a neighbor of mine who talked about um, like the, the the role that youth groups play in Israel, and um, he 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 felt even as somebody who's American, growing up from an American family. Um, not moving here, not just being American, and the tension between his Americanism and his Israeliism, and he's, the way he defines it was he said, in order to fit in, I had to act Israeli as a teen, um, and now that I'm older, I can go back to my American 
way of being. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, the tribalism of, of like Israeli youth groups, like the group identity, the, the nationalism uh, uh, of like, 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 um, you know, this also, I would say this sense that we're like all giving together towards something. I think that those are things that like the, the collective, I would say, right. As opposed, I think maybe that, that is a difference that I think, um, in America, especially in like those high school years, there's a lot of emphasis on the individual, on their individual grades, the college they're going to go to, right? Their their um, extracurriculars. And by the way, that's another thing. Well, again, if you stay want on that. To, stay on that. Stay focused. Okay, okay. But I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I also thought about how we can help our teams. So if you want me to talk about that, I, we'll I do want to. We'll come back to we'll it. We'll yeah, come back to it. But here, there's much less of a focus on um, indiv- the individual and much more of a focus on the group. Right, everything surrounds your your interaction with your group, and and how you're giving to to your larger community. Right, again, whether that's through Bnei Kiva or through Ezra or through it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like there's some or in school, um, or you're thinking you're thinking about the army, you're thinking about Shirut Lumi. Right, everything, all the ethos, Yom Atzmaot and Yom Zikaron, all the ethos is being part of the collective, and I think that is a difference. That that's one of the differences. I think there are a lot of differences which we've discussed, and I'll I'll move to Johnny. Johnny, you want, Johnny had one as well. Johnny wanted to say one. something. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about something very practical, and I'd like to talk about something ideological. On a practical level, both in terms of education and also in terms of our medical system, there's a lot of responsibility put on the client, the customer, the user. What I mean by that is, for example, my wife carries all our medical notes, whereas in the UK, that's what the surgery did, right? She is responsible to make sure the right information gets in the right place. And in terms of schools, there is a lot more expectation that kids get and purchase the right books ahead of the semester and bring them, uh, and the teachers aren't interested in giving things on a silver platter. So if, for example, you come, especially if you make Aliyah, let's say, towards the end of of the summer hopefully if you have a network of friends they're going to tell you you better get uh, part of the book scheme or go to this kind of store and buy this bunch of things and then figure out what your kid needs and the parent may say what my kid hasn't told what they need on day one and the answer is no your kid should know ahead of day one what they should need johnny i, I want to say I, I would say to leave it I, more than that i think you're you're onto something but it's more than that kids are given an enormous amount of freedom yeah but also an enormous amount of responsibility. Whereas in Chutzlaaretz, they're treated like children, for better or for worse. They're really treated like children. Their parents drive them around, and they, you know, their parents make sure they do X, Y, and Z. And like, I just, ex- I, I don't know to what degree this is true. I was gonna say last night I was at my son's yeshiva, and they had an Arab musica, and the kids put together the Arab music musica from beginning to end. Now there was a madrich there who was kind of like hanging around or whatever but but there was no like it wasn't like the adults did xyz and the kids and and then the the kids like did their performances it was nothing like that it was expected and understood and the kids they they rise to the occasion they love that so i could see a a tremendous thing yeah 100 percent. i want to add the one further thing which it relates to shall we say ideology so I, i can't quite speak for yourselves although we know a little bit about each other's background but uh, a, a number of people I know, in fact, some people I've spoken to in recent weeks who are making Aliyah this summer, come from communities where they may be identified as, and that doesn't mean they identify themselves, but within, shall we say, what I c- might call the modern Haredi community, meaning 
to be perfectly clear, in many communities, there is a very blurry line between observant modern Orthodox and uh, modern Haredi, and a lot of people fall on that blur. And truth be told, I probably did as well, to a certain extent. Now we're in that everything and in between. We're back to everything in between. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, that, that has an impact on the kind of schools you go to, the kind of way you're taught, the kind of hierarchy of values, uh, perhaps even the emphasis on Zionism, but even how you dress. Now, and if a person like that makes Aliyah, they may say, well, modern Haredi in Israel is very different to modern Haredi in the States or the UK, and they may recalibrate who they are based on the range of options here. But that itself leads to a whole kind of question of belonging, because how a person dressed in the States may differ. So just take a very simple example. I, just a couple of days ago, I saw a picture of a family celebrating a Simcha uh, here in Israel. They've been living here for quite a few years. If they were living in the States, I would presume that they'd see themselves as being in that blur. And the boys, I'm here to talk about boys' dress rather than girls. Often people speak about girls' dress. The boys, if they were in the States, would have worn a suit and a shirt and probably a tie. Here, and this is a very, very, very family, very, very Macbeth in every aspect of time, it's what. The guys are wearing a white shirt and some kind of pale trousers and, and some kind of sneaker, smart sneaker things. And that's kind of how Hever dresses. Now, there's no comment for good or for bad here. This is simply a matter of if they were in that location, they would look like X. Then now in this location, you look like Y. And if you go from that location to that location, you have this big question of who am I? And as Mali said, what do I look like or what should I be looking like? It's a matter of principle. Yeah, I just want to go back to one more thing before we turn to Mali. Um, that I was talking about responsibility. One of the things that always struck me is, like, you know, the youth groups here, the youth groups are run by the kids, by the teenagers, literally run by the teenagers. I mean, you could take like 100 kids on a teal somewhere and there are no adults. It's just like, you know, the adult in the room is an 18-year-old. And in Chutz Aretz, the teenagers are the kids. Meaning you have, like I remember we would go NCSY, Shabbatoni, we were the college, you know, like the idea that the kids would just be on their own and, and they're really running things for young kids. It's, it's very, very, it, it, it's just very, very different. And I think there are pros and cons on both sides, actually. Sure. That being said, a teenager that comes here, I now realize, right, these children, these kids, they've been in their shevet. They have, like, they know their name. They know their identity. They've been in that for years and years. And they, they, they're, they're, they're in the system. And they're, you know, so for someone coming from the outside who, A, hasn't had the experiences, the youth experiences. I mean, I have, well, I, I, I'm an adult, so I don't even have, I don't have a shevet. I don't know what it was, blah, blah, blah. But for... But for somebody coming at that stage and trying to fit in, I can see that being very, very hard and like mm. incredibly challenging because it's not, it's not just like the look is different, the whole vibe is different, the whole value is different. And that's something that's, uh, that's, that's definitely challenging. So Molly, um, as, as soon as we come back from our break, uh, because we're in our positive spin and we're thinking about how to solve problems, Molly's going to solve all of your problems and tell you how to come to, on, on Aliyah with your teenager Smooth landing, integrate your children, no problem whatsoever. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, 
I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. Molly, yeah. solve our problems. Okay, so first of all, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know if I can solve the problems, but I can say that everything you said is correct. Uh, I think that the issue of independence versus, and I think it's very disorienting, disorienting for parents as well, because they're, they're like, where, where are the adults in the room, right? And, and, and they have to also learn to understand that giving the kids independence has a value. And I think Johnny's point is very correct also, and there are a lot of adult parents who come and they're like, why are you yeshivish? You know, and they're like, where's the community that I can live in in this country? And it's very hard for mm-hmm. them because that exists less and so and and that makes meaning the parents also have to orient so like now you so i'm saying this because i think part of helping children is also part of empathizing with parents and recognizing that the parents are having a hard time also and that they should also recognize their own difficulties and find an empathetic ear for themselves how do we help the kids okay so first of all validate all the emotions even if it's hard for the parents to hear and it is hard for the parents to hear to hear i hate it here um, I have no friends. I feel like a loser. I just want to go home. Why did you bring me here? And also, not just that, to see your child struggling is very painful for a parent, right? So it's very hard often for parents to listen to their children, but it's really important for the parents to listen, listen, and val- and validate what, the, what their kids are going through, what their teens are going through. It's important to give them a sense of control over what they can control because again what you've just done to these kids who are struggling it's their teen years they're struggling with uh you know learning how to self-identify and part of that is learning how to control who they are what their identity is and you've just pulled control out of the out from under them so give them as much control as you possibly can right um give them help them um maybe they can choose the hook that they want to go to maybe they can um, choose how to decorate their room. I know that sounds trivial, but like any small thing that you can do to give your child a sense of control will help in this area. The other thing is hold the lines with empathy, meaning you come here and all of a sudden the new culture is, you're like, well, all the parents are letting their kids stay out until four in the morning. All the Israelis are doing it. Shouldn't I be doing that too? If you, No, you shouldn't. You're allowed as an American parent to hold your child um, with empathy and with understanding, but you are still allowed to give them boundaries and they still need them. And that's something we talked about last time also, right? I, I, I discussed like um, parenting teenagers as a tug of war, like you're holding one end of the rope, they're holding the mm-hmm. other end of the rope. You have to hold that end of the rope for them now even more than ever, right? They, they actually still need you to set boundaries for them and to be present in their life. Um, and at the same time, as you're doing that, right, empower them, bolster their confidence. And, and I think the best way to do that is to help them foster their sense of their own strength. So again, whether that's what, what was succeeding for them in America? Were they the smartest kid? Well, if they're the smartest kid, then that's challenging. So maybe you're going to have to find a hook where they can still excel. Maybe it'll be in English. Maybe it'll be in English in your community. Maybe they're good at basketball. And then they're going to start playing basketball with the Israelis. And they're, it's going to be different and hard because the Israeli kids have different norms, but you're going to say, stick it out. You're good at this. Keep doing it, right? So find find their strengths, 
find ways to bolster their social connections. And here again, and this is, um, let me just say one more thing before I go to this, um, help your kid understand what their own personal style is. Meaning some kids um, like to, um, they like to make friends one-on-one. Some kids are more comfortable, throw them into a group and make it more casual. Help your kid know who they are and how they best make uh, social friends. That The last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to turn it back to you because we had discussed this, which is this is where maybe it is important to find cocoons for those Anglo Olim that are Anglo, that are English, right? That can be used as stepping stones for your kids. Meaning if there's um, an American camp, if maybe they need to even go back to American camp for the summer, if there's a group of Anglos in the community that hangs hey, out. But won't that make them, make it harder to come back after they go to American okay, exactly. camp? Exactly. So that's, that's like a question that I think we struggle with, right? Which is like, we want them to integrate, but on the other hand, before they can integrate, they need a very strong sense of self and they need a good community. So my answer to that question would be, if the Anglo environment is going to, if it's perceived by both the kid and you as an adult as a stepping stone and as a strengthening um, kind of bubble, then I think it's fine. I think it's healthy. There are schools here that are just for Anglo um, so I want to come back to that. Wait, let's leave right. that in for a side. We'll come back to okay, that. Okay, but, but the reason I'm saying that that can be useful, notwithstanding the, the the double-edged sword there of we want them to integrate into Israeli society, is because unless they feel a healthy sense of self, and unless they feel like they have a peer group, they're going to be lost. So it's better, much better for them to land somewhere where they feel safe and held and have a good sense of self. Um, than to feel lost, dazed, and confused. Because when they feel lost, dazed, and confused, we know what, what happens to teens when they feel disconnected, right? They, they turn to things that help them feel, right? And again, this is like one of the best lines about addiction. The opposite of addiction is not, I don't know, what, what would you say the opposite of addiction is, Ruby, if I asked you? What's the opposite of addiction? Lack of a need for anything. Okay, the, so the opposite of addiction is connection. If you have connection, you don't become addicted to things, right? Addiction is the ability, is whatever you're addicted to, it's because you want to feel something. If you feel already, if you're feeling healthy because you have friends, because you have a good sense of self, you don't need to turn to other things to help you feel something, right? Johnny, yeah. I would like to, I'd like to turn to Johnny. Uh, Johnny, would you like to add, add uh, to some of Molly's tips? I, I'd like to stress, well, actually, I want to add a point and then maybe you ask Molly a question. So, you know, Chazal speak of the Ari Miklat, the cities of refuge, as being places where people who feel threatened can feel safe. And years ago, and I think of Masyao Solomon, but many others as well, numerous Machanchim have often referred to a Jewish home, a parent's home, as an Ir Miklat. I think people sometimes take that metaphorically when all is going well. I would say when you make Aliyah, your home has to be an Ir Miklat. It has to be a city of refuge. Baruch Hashem, kids aren't being pursued in a bad way. But there's a lot of things going on around them which makes them feel uncomfortable. And they need to know that home is anchor. By the way, I think Aliyah, for our family, I think many others, can bring families even closer together going through that journey. Now, there's a question which I want to point out something, but then also turn it to Mali, which is, parents also go through lots of different challenges. So... I think there is a point by which a parent empathizing with what a kid is going through by saying, it's also difficult for me, is good. I presume and I suspect there's a point by which 
the parrot saying it's really too difficult for me is even more unnerving because it makes the one place, that anchor, the home, the ear miklat, a place where the child does not find solace. So I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts, in fact. Uh, what, you know, should parents of teens kind of say, I'm going through the same thing as you, dear, um, and does that strengthen them? Or if they say that too much, does that make them worry? So I, I, I want to try and tackle that, but not answer your question directly, but to, uh, something that I think that I've seen many times that in, in my experience that I think is, is good for or is key to as smooth an Aliyah process as possible. One of the things that I've seen that's so challenging is, is the idea you're coming here and, and you, you begin, you immediately, and it's hard to not do this, but to compare it to your old life. Like, you know, because I was, it was like this and I used to do that and I want to have this and, and your house is smaller and your job pays less. You know, there are obviously other benefits as well, but you, we tend to focus on, on the things that we don't have. And I think that the key to, or one important key to me to, to navigating Aliyah successfully is a certain level of, of emotional and intellectual flexibility. What I mean by that is to, to be open to different things and not to have expectations that it's going to be the way that it was. And, and that requires a very... Uh, a, 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 a lot of emotion, a tremendous amount of emotional effort. I, I saw a post actually, somebody posted on some Facebook group that I'm on that said, I, I can't imagine people are, how do you make Aliyah without having an apartment and, and having a job set up? And, I, like, and a lot of the responses were, do you think it's really reasonable for somebody to hire you before you actually live in their country? Meaning like, you, you know, and yeah, that's a leap, but do you have faith in yourself? Do you have a sense of what, do I, what am I doing in my career? and I can find something, and I'm, I was a professional here, and I'm going to be a professional there. And that sense of, I did X, but I'm willing to do Y, and just because I did X, I don't only have to do Y. I believe that, A, when the parents come, if they model that flexibility, because there will be hardships, and it won't be the same, and you won't earn the mm -hmm. same money, and they're going to make you take all these crazy tests, and you know, you're not going to know how to get a driver's license. All, that, that happened to all of us. Okay? But if you have a certain level of flexibility and openness, and you know, I'm, I'm here for the ride, and you convey that to your children, and you convey that sense of, well, you know, this is really challenging, but I think I can, I'm, I'm going to make the best of it and be what I'm going to be. I think that does trickle down. Now, obviously, for kids, I think it's harder. And I would add, the kids weren't necessarily the ones that had this, you know, emotional or religious fervor to move halfway around the country. They weren't, they weren't the ones that made the decision. So, but I think, for, first, for the parents themselves, having that emotional or that psychological openness to being different, to, being, to making less money, to having not as a prestigious job as you had when you were there. All of those things are most likely going to happen. And you, you're aware of that and know that and are okay with that. That flexibility will hopefully give your children also, will model for them that flexibility because they're going to have the same things in their lives as well. Yeah, Johnny, you wanted to respond. I, I just want to say one thing. Else? I really then want to hear what yeah. Mali has to say. But... I'm going to make actually a plea to people who've made Aliyah, who are making Aliyah. We are all speaking from a point of going through this journey ourselves. We've got the scrapes to prove it. We're also proud, I think, of the journey we've gone on. And there have been tough days, but in our own respective ways, we've found a path to where we are today. There are people for whom that journey becomes really, really difficult. And while we may be speaking about the concept of resilience, 
I'm going to beg something, which is if somebody makes Aliyah and they think it's too difficult, don't just bear it silently. Uh, share it with a friend and perhaps ideally with a professional. We, you know, we're hearing from Mali both as a contributor to Aussie Weekly, but also as a professional. And I'm not trying to put words in her mouth. I'd like her to, to make note of this as well. But my belief is there's a, there is a difference between being resilient and dealing with the difficulties and feeling completely overcome with pressure and, and struggling to the point of it making a person sick. And while I hope that a very, very small minority, it can happen. And if that could be you or if that is you, please don't suffer that alone. Don't think, well, I've made Aliyah. And as a phrase says, you know, you made your bed, you've got to lie in it. No, you made your bed. We really want you to lie in it. We want to help you. Um, and you're not alone. And there are tremendous networks of people who want to assist. I, I wouldn't even say you're not alone. Thing. I would say it happens to most people. It's natural. Right, <laughs> right. So again, we're speaking about resilience. We're speaking about what people cope with. But some people can cope a little bit better than others. And uh, I just want to kind of put that, I wouldn't say disclaimer, but reminder uh, in part of our conversation. Molly, I want you to respond what I, to what I had said about um, emotional resilience. I don't know what you would call it, whatever, yeah. whatever the technical term is. Yeah, no, I thought, I th okay. So I'm going to respond to that, but I first want to say that Johnny is 100% right. I also think that there, there's, there's a phenomenon of people, let's say, already struggling with certain things in America, and they think, I'll move to oh, Israel, yeah. and you know things will be better, because they have this kind of image of what life, you know what? As John Kabat-Zinn said, wherever you go, there you are, right? You're, whatever you've had, whatever issues you're struggling with in your life, they're coming with you. You're, you're bringing them with you to wherever you go. And so I think that's another thing that people need to be aware of is that if, if things are hard, if there are certain difficulties that, that kids are dealing with, those are not going to magically disappear because you brought them to a different environment. And as you're both saying, they might actually become harder because the play because the new place amplifies differences and adds more difficulties but just to go back to to what johnny said and what you said well, i would just respond to that i would say if you live in a small community in america and your child didn't fit in with the 10 kids in the school that he that, that they went to which happens a lot so one of the benefits that there is in israel is there are, there's a lot more choice Especially if yes, you live in the city. Yes, it could be that there are positives. So, I'm not saying that there so aren't. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, like, I'm you should saying have to if, think about. I'm sometimes just saying. Sometimes, it's not Mishanemako, Mishanemazal. Sometimes you, you need to change the situation in order to, to solve a problem. I, I agree. I just, I think sometimes people have this false hope that I'm going to, you know, make right. this change. And all of a sudden, all the pieces are going to fall into place. And that's not what happens. And then that's really hard. And that goes back to Johnny's point about people really struggle when they make Aliyah. It's really hard. So in terms of Johnny's point about the home being an Ermiklad and how you balance that and your point about resilience, I think that's all right. And I think the answer is um, that you, you do have to empathize with the kid. At, if you can get to the place, Ruby's place of resilience, right, and you can do that thing that Johnny's talking about, which is on the one hand, identify, I hear you, um, I, I understand what you're experiencing, you should know, I'm also experiencing some of that myself, and at the same time, project to your child but i have the confidence that I'm, that 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 i'm going to do that do it and that we can do it right and so that's where the resilience comes so it's not an either or it's a both and mm -hmm. right both i empathize I, I i get what you're feeling i'm feeling a lot of the same stuff and i have confidence in my strengths and i have confidence in your strengths that that's a great if parents can get there that's great but i think johnny's point is also well taken which is parents are also going to need support in this in this in this process 
And therefore, I think that the parents should not hesitate to reach out to um, to all kinds of resources that are available for, for Olim. And I am going to make one point about integration, which we didn't really touch on, but I, I'll, I'll say it like right, Before this. you make the point, I'll ask it as a question. Fine. Because that, I really want, this is the last part of our discussion I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Molly, you had sort of mentioned it, but we talked about this idea of siloing. And I think it's something that, we, that, that Olim have a tendency to do. It's not Anglos. French people do it. I mean, you know, a lot of, you're just more comfortable with your people, with the people that speak your language. You want to go to shul and be able to talk the language. So that sort of leads to a phenomenon where people live in very Anglo neighborhoods and they only encounter Anglo people. And it could be up to the point where they can send their children to schools that are Anglo only. So I personally, I, I'm, I'm saying it right. I think it's obvious and I think anybody would agree that that the, the most successful aliyah is the one where, I mean, I'm not talking about people who come when they're 65 and they go to retire in Yerushalayim, but the most successful aliyah for, as a family, as individuals, is going to come with a level of integration. And the greater the integration, the more successful it's going to be. And that what's true for the parents is, is doubly true, I think, for their children. So that being the case, like, discuss this issue of, like you, you mentioned, of siloing, of either for, like, should a person, people are contemplating, you know, should they want to live in Scheinfeld in Beit Shemesh? And we all know the places, or uh, truth be told, I don't know, Alon Shvud, Yad Binyamin, Evan Shmuel, Renana, or if they can, is it worth the pain, and it's harder to live in a place that's less Anglo, more integrated, more Israeli, it'll be harder for them now, but maybe it'll be better for them in the long term. So I think, in principle, I think that integration is an important value, um, and I, so so. Here's my here's my distilled answer. Okay, I think that what you have to strive for is that you and your children feel a part of Israeli society. Now, that being said, if that if the, you could be a part of Israeli society by living in. Ramat uh, Shiloh or whatever, all those places, and all as an adult and as a teen, and as long as you're part of a big enough group that are like you, and you're all navigating it together, and you feel Israeli, you feel like an Anglo Israeli, but you feel Israeli. I have less problem with that than you know than like the way you're phrasing it, right? The problem is when the person, when the kid or the adult feels, I I, I have no space here. Right. If if you're part, if you barely speak Hebrew and you can never speak Hebrew, this is like you know our our Effie conversation. It's similar to that, but it's the opposite. You barely speak Hebrew, but it's okay because all your neighbors kind of speak English, and in your community, the American, the Israelis know that you barely speak Hebrew, so they like they're used to it already, and you can build yourself a comfortable life in Israel. It's good enough. They're not giving out stickers for how good your Hebrew is, or like you know how how whatever how israeli you are you don't have to get an, you, don't, you don't get an award for how few anglos are in your community so that i think is an important thing to say that being said it's really important that your kid not feel resentful of israeli society and that your kid feel part of israeli society hey, Ma, Ma, so, i want to push back at that a little bit because i mean part of the to me part of the beauty of and the opportunity advantage of israeli society is connected to, I, I know obviously you're not getting graded on your Hebrew, but 
I, I would, I want, if you can't send your kids to the regular schools because they don't speak the language, I think you're robbing them of, of critical area, okay. you know, something so, like some core point of what it means to of why you came here. Of under, you know what I'm saying? I, I do. I, but again, if your kid, if your kid, like I know kids from families like that, right? And they're fine. They end up in the army. Um, they end up, they end up feeling Israeli. Like, I, I feel like we don't have to like put a purity test on, are you Israeli enough? My mm. personal decision was, I agree with you. Like when my kids hit reading age and I had to decide, am I going to make sure that they're reading in English or in Hebrew? I chose Hebrew, right? I'd rather my kids read Harry Potter in Hebrew than Harry Potter in English, right? Because I, I, I want them to feel more Israeli than American. That was my personal choice, but my kids were born here, right? But so, but if your kids, if it's the difference between success as a per, as a human being and peer group and social success and if that means they have to go to a school where they speak english fine as long you know or if it means they're gonna i i we know i know of a limb who like went to seminary right because like they they, they went to Chorev and then they speak and you think oh they went to seminary they're so english they're so american you know what then they're fine then they go to Mahontal or to barilan and they find a place to be and so as long as you're helping them find a place to be, I think we, we can be relaxed about how, what exactly that pathway is into Israeli society. Johnny. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think what Mahdi's presenting is a very pragmatic view, and I, I totally understand why she's saying that. And uh, I know many families who fall in that criteria. And the truth be told, I think each of us, I myself, you know, we figure out where we are on this spectrum. I am very idealistic, but the reality is that, especially with technology, I should say as well, if you made Aliyah 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have so much of a way to stay anchored to English and Anglo within your home. The TV, if you're watching, would be Hebrew TV because you wouldn't be, be able to get streaming Netflix or Amazon or whatever you're doing. And uh, you wouldn't be speaking so much to people abroad because that would have kind of cost you your house to pay for the mortgage stuff for those international phone calls. So what's happened is technology has allowed us to maintain uh, a, a more Anglo lifestyle, even living in Israel, no matter where you live. I believe that if a family and individuals can encourage, nudge their children to, uh, to mix as much as possible culturally, it's not just language, it's, it's important to note here. You will, if you come at a right enough age, you'll learn the language. But there needs to be a sense that that culture that I see on the street reflects me. If that can happen, then Matov, um, I, I do agree that it, 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 it's, it's kind of negotiation. Um, and if left to everyone's devices, everyone's going to choose a path of least resistance. Okay. I don't think that's wise. But at the same time, I agree that we don't need to torture ourselves for making Aliyah. I do agree. I just want to say uh, one more thing. I'm sorry. I just want to say one last thing because I do. I ha I, I do think. Don't, that don't be sorry. You're wrapping it up. Yeah, I'm totally conclusion. wrapping it up. I think the conclusion is, yes, we can find a spectrum of and, and give ourselves. What did you just call it, Johnny? Like a like a comfortable landing or something like that. But I do path think path of least resistance. Path of, whatever, whatever it is, I think that's all true. But I I want to strengthen your point, which is that I'm not. I, I'm still saying the following, which is. You must, you must give your children a sense that you are proud to be Israeli, that you consider yourself mm. Israeli, that you're, you value Israeli culture. 
um, and that you made Aliyah and that you are no, you, you, you could love America and you could identify as an American, but, but you, have to, you have to move. Your head has to move to Israel so that your kids' heads move to Israel because if they don't, then they're never really going to be able to find their path into Israeli society and that's very dangerous. All right, I think we'll stop it here. I think this has been a hopefully a productive conversation for you. Uh, if you're listening and you found it beneficial, please send us a line. We'd love for you to fill in our survey and tell us more about things you're interested in hearing on, about on our podcast moving forward. I want to thank Robin Ibali-Brabski, Rob Johnny Solomon. I am Ruben Spolter. Thank you, my son, Fantastic Real Music. Have a great weekend.